0: Min. Ich glaube in dem als der Bäuergebend sein soll sein, sein Schem. Er hat verschaffen alle Sachen und was es passiert tut er es machen und er allein er führt doch mit dem Er ist gewinnen und er ist Und unser Harvet ei big zeh. Asso i vieris misdishto eine. Farem un noch misdishto keiner. Und nur zu em Dorfen mis faul
1: Good evening. Thank you for coming. Um we're about to begin. This week's Sheer N C D has been sponsored by Zalman and Esther Roth. This is an honor of Mrs. Esther Roth's mother's yardside coming up this Sunday. Shava Basra B'itzhak, Isaac, may your neshama have a very great aliyah to the greatest of heights. May she channel lots of brachas to you and to your family for all that you need and all that you want, both in the material and in the spiritual. Thank you so much. It's also a big happy birthday for a few birthdays in your family. May all... Your children and those who have birthdays this week have a shnas bracha and Much mazel and only, only happiness and only, only good things. Also upon your nephew's wedding. Big, big bracha to him, to his wonderful kala. And she should build the bias never be A uh, With only, only good things. Thank you so much. This week is Parshas Yisraeli. And being that lately, everything in this place... Is about, about the coming of Mashiach, which is the most important element in our lives these days, as we are expecting that to happen momentarily. So I'd like to give a perspective on this Parsha, Parsha's Yisroy, from a more Mashiach take place. In the sense, in Parsha's Yisroy, the Torah is given to us. We receive the Torah, and we have the Ten Commandments. So there is the Ten Commandments, which later, you know, translate into 613 commandments, which the 613 commandments translate into all the details and laws, including the rabbinic uh, additions and ordinances and so on and so forth, which becomes millions of pieces of observance. Literally, there's so many details to observance. But the Mashiach point over here is to appreciate and to see the oneness of all of Torah. It's oneness, its core essence. Because just like Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, we will experience the oneness of all of creation, the oneness of the world. Until Mashiach comes, we see a world in a state of separateness and fragmentation when mashiach will come we will experience all the unity and the oneness of all of existence so we have to also appreciate the unity and the oneness of all of torah so as if you've been paying attention there's been some really really fascinating classes i've been giving here called mashiach decoded and in those classes we've discussed a lot that the mashiach process or mashiach's world doesn't begin when mashiach comes Moshiach's world already projects itself into the exile. So the last period of exile is very, very influenced by Moshiach, Moshiach mindfulness and Moshiach, uh, Moshiach attitude, if we can say. And that is really the teachings of Hasidus, because the teachings of Hasidus are the precursor to Moshiach. So it's like Moshiach is already projecting into the exile its light and its attitudes, its ideas, its philosophy. So from the perspective of Hasidism we experience Yiddishkeit in a far more unified state. So in the book of Tanya, there is a fascinating explanation to observance. Um, in which all of observance boils down to just two, you know as I said earlier, there's so many details to observance, but that all of observance really boils down to just two an expression of two commandments. And that everything, in, in other words, to be a Jew, one can be a Jew in that kind of a, in, in that kind of an attitude or in that kind of a consciousness your Yiddishkeit is, observe, is observed on such a high level, on such a deep level, in a state of total unification with the there, total unification with God. This is based on the idea that the Talmud tells us that even though God gave us ten commandments, we only heard two of them directly from Hashem. The other eight commandments um, we heard from Moshe. And then later we heard from Moshe after the Ten Commandments. We heard from Moshe later another, the rest of the commandments. So 613 commandments minus 2 is 611. So altogether we heard from Moshe Rabbeinu 611 commandments. That's why Chazal say, the Pesach says, Torah tzival Moisha. Moshe, Torah Moshe commanded us. Torah is Gematria 611. The numeric value of Torah 611. Because Moshe taught us Torah, and God taught us the first two commandments. So here's the question. If we are capable of learning the entire Torah from Moshe, so why did Hashem have to give us the first two commandments? And on the other hand, if it's important that we hear the commandments directly from God, so why are we listening to the 611 we're hearing it from Moshe? What's the reason for that? If we're supposed to hear it from Hashem, we should hear all the commandments from Hashem. And if for whatever reason we can get by, by hearing it from Moshe, so why couldn't, why shouldn't we uh, hear, uh, why did we hear the first two commandments from Hashem? And it can't be that it's just because God wanted to give us an opportunity to also have a direct communication with Him. Then it has nothing to do with Torah. Then Hashem could have spoken something nice to us told us something really beautiful. The Torah is given to us by Hashem. That means we have to hear the Torah from God. If we have to hear the Torah from God, then why don't we hear the whole Torah from God? How can we compromise? And the answer to that is, based on what it says in the Zohar, that the Ten Commandments really include the entire Torah. And Rashi also brings it that um, you're from Rav Sadio going that the Ten Commandments, in them you can get all, you can see, if you break it down and open it up, you can find every mitzvah in the Ten Commandments. But in truth, that's what it says in Rashi, and that's what it says in the Zohar over here. Now it's brought from the Zohar more that really all of the commandments, I didn't see it, I'm, I, I'm looking at the place where it referenced me in Zohar. The Zohar says over here, be'ilan eser and these Ten Commandments, is iskilufa ko pikudei araiso. Is engraved all the mitzvahs of the Torah, Gezerin all the decrees, Vaunchin and all the punishments, Dachyon, whatever is pure and whatever is impure, Anfin all the branches, Vesharoshin and all the all the all the roots, Elon and trees, Unatian and all plants, Shmaya va'ara heaven and earth, Yama, of the the sea and the and the uh, everything is here. Why? Because the Torah is the name of God, and it's and it's embedded in the Ten Commandments and so. Forth. So here it says the Ten Commandments. But he brings, and I didn't get a chance to find that in the Zohar as well, that really all the commandments are included in the first two commandments. The, the dibur, the commandment, I am God, your God, includes within itself it's all the commandments. And lo you shouldn't have any other gods besides me, includes within itself all the prohibitive commandments. So the Positive commandments, in the sense that Hashem is looking for us for an action, what we call mitzvah sase, things that we ought to do, like giving tzedakah and uh, saying the Shema or things like that. So these are eating matzah, a positive commandment. So these things are all included in the mitzvah, "I am God, your God." Thou shalt not do so and so. That were included in the prohibition. You shouldn't have any other gods, which means something very, very important. Not only is it is it a foundation. That of course I can't eat matzah if I don't believe in a God who's commanding me. Why, why am I eating matzah? I'm eating matzah because it's a commandment of, on Pesach. It's Hashem's commandment. But if, if I don't believe in God, chas so who's the commander? Who what is not shayach mitzvah. But it's not just that. So that would mean that it's a foundation and it's a base for all the other mitzvot. But we're saying that it actually includes all the mitzvahs are included in I am I am your Hashem. In that amunah, that faith, and that acceptance that I am God, your God, is included all the mitzvahs. And every mitzvah is an expression of I am God, your God, in truth. Every positive command, And every prohibition, the Torah is telling us, don't do that prohibition, because if you do that prohibition, you will be having another God other than me. So it's not like, okay, this is the, this is the big sin and from, if, if, if you're not careful with this, you can come to all the other sins. It's that actually all the sins are included in this sin, and every sin, God forbid, something that God says don't do, is actually a violation of having other gods. So that's what it says in Zohar. So really, in truth, we ask the question, why, did we have, why, did we hear, why didn't we hear the whole Torah from God? The answer is, we did hear the whole Torah from Hashem. We heard the entire Torah in a nutshell. When Hashem said, I am God, your God, and when He said to us, you shouldn't have any other gods, He gave us the entire Torah. That is the whole Torah. The rest is really explanation. So then we can hear from Moshe. Moshe is already, just like we find the entire Torah, we know every chidush, every novel idea that someone is going to, is, that, 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 that is going to be extrapolated. In a, if, you give a, if you learn chumash and you have a pirush, in Chumash, and it's a correct Pirush, then Hashem, it's all there in the Torah that God gave. It's just that you discovered it. Like it says, Kol vasik ased everything that a student is going to be Machadish, is going to come up with an, a, an innovative idea in Torah, but it's true, it was Nitno Lomoshe Mesina, it was given to Moshe. It doesn't mean that God explicitly said every single Pirush, but it's contained That too is meant, it's contained, and it's embedded in the Torah. So just like that too is embedded in the Torah, the entire Torah is embedded in these two commandments. So Moshe can't give us the Torah. God has to give us the Torah. The Torah comes from Hashem to us. But what does Hashem have to give us? He gave us the entire Torah. By giving us the two commandments, He gave us the entire Torah. It's almost as for Hashem, the Torah is just two commandments as the Torah gets turned around from Him to us, it's like when you give something to someone, you're turning it over. So when Hashem is emanating the Torah from Him, it's just two commandments. But when it's being handed over to us, and we're receiving it, we're receiving it as 613, plus later all the aspects of details, and details, and details, and details. This idea that the Torah coming from God is only one, but the Torah as it is, being received by us is many it states so in in um, Marsha the Marsha Rabbi Shmuel Edelis over here in Mesechtes Makis Tav Chof Gimel page 23 Omid Beis. The Marsha says ah, well, the, Indian, the idea it's all the way at the end of the page of the Marsha the first column Avol Inya k'mayshakasev, she'no sanlenu akodesh baruch hu Hashem, Hashem gave us six hundred and thirteen commandments, shesal lavin three sixty five prohibitions, Viramach esin and two hundred and forty eight positive commandments. Uba hariboi mitzad hamakabel. The, multi- the multiple element of it, the fact that it's many, that's because of the recipient. <inaudible> because from this, on the part of the giver, which means on Hashem's end, Baruch Hu blessed is He. mitzvah achas, they're all one mitzvah. V'zao she'omar v'lo So as God gave, gives it, as it emanates from Hashem, there's only two commandments. I am, you shouldn't have any other gods other than me. Translate that to us, into our experience, into our life, it becomes a gazillion mitzvahs, 613, with all the details. But, you know, how do we live? So generally in observance, we get kind of blown or carried away down downstream and it's very, very, and, and generally observance becomes about observing this, and observing this, and observing this, and observing that, and observing this. And we are millions of, millions of miles away, or we can say light years away, from the I am God, your God, and thou shalt not have any other gods besides me. Because we're busy, you know, doing the details. And we're totally even, not even hearing, I am God, your God. Of course, a juke fulfills that mitzvah too. You ask a yid, who's very, very from, do you believe in God? Yeah. Do you believe in any other God? No, I don't. But the person is not in a state of mind at that moment that they're, that they're receiving the I am God, your God, and there's no other God besides me. And that is what's expressed in all their observance. Comes the altar Eber of Shnir Zalman of Liadi. And chapter 20, 21, 22, 23 and 24 in Tanya, five chapters, maybe, yeah 20, uh, yeah, 20, 20, 24, 25, maybe five to six chapters in Tanya, in which he explains, in which he explains a, a way of observing the Torah and the mitzvahs as they are emanating from God, from God's perspective. And that a Yid is living in that consciousness of I am God, your God, and you shall not have any other gods other than me. And that's the definition of their entire observance. And that is Mashiach. So let's understand that. What does that mean? What that really means is as follows. Every time a Jew is doing a mitzvah, they are expressing the notion and the idea that I am God, your God any mitzvah you do. It can be, you know, helping someone, it can be, uh, whatever, making kiddush on Friday night, putting up a mezuzah, okay, that's... Whatever, whatever mitzvah it is, redeeming your firstborn son, mila. whatever mitzvah the mitzvah should only be, that mitzvah, what it truly is, if we would have the right eyes and we can see things correctly, we would see, I am God, your God. Which means the unity of Hashem is fully pronounced now in this space where the mitzvah is happening. God's truth and God's unity is being expressed. When chas v'shalom, a person has a temptation or a situation where they, God forbid, might do a prohibition, something that God says, don't do it. So by not doing the sin, which they might have a temptation to doing, to doing, they're fulfilling the commandment, you shall not have any other gods other than Hashem. Because God forbid if they slip up and they do do something, it might be some rabbinic ordinance that the rabbis have decreed you shouldn't do. Moving a muktzah thing on Shabbos, and the person goes ahead and does it, intentionally or not intentionally of course there's a big difference, but in, in regards to this there's no difference. At that moment, in, in the space that they are, there is another God other than God. Or they are declaring that there is an other, mistakenly declaring. So they're living in this absolute impossibility, and therefore in a sense they are right now not even existing, because that space of that illusionary existence, that there is something other than God, obviously is only an illusion. But that means that this person has, God forbid, entered into that illusionary existence and therefore, for all practical purposes, they're not alive at that moment. In that action. Or the piece of them that's involved in that action is sadly not alive. Not being, not just not alive, not in existence. Because they're demonstrating existence other than God. And to demonstrate that there is another God. Now, How do we make sense of that? But the beautiful thing about this is, when you live Yiddishkeit this way, then you're living your entire life not about, your Yiddishkeit is not about, you know, I want to be a good person, I want to get Olam Haba, I want to achieve something, I want to do something. It's about either you're living with the absent, either you're living in truth, or you're living in lies. That's what it is. So to, either you're being truly alive, and truly alive means, you're accepting within yourself, you're, you're, you're acknowledging and living in the MS and in the truth of God's existence, and then your existence is not a contradiction of God, quite on the contrary, you're a conveyor, you're a, a conduit and a conveyor in that action and in that experience, in as much part of you that's involved in that mitzvah and that experience, it's expressing the, the truth of God, achtos Hashem, the unity of Hashem, in a sense at this moment you have dissolved into being Him, your limbs and your body are Him. And that's the truth because there's nothing but Him. So you are included in God's existence. Or chas one can dissolve into this biggest myth and lie of non-existence, of, of other, otherness other than Hashem. And, 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 and that's avodah zara. And, you're, and that means that every moment of a Jew's observance is not about being something or getting something. It's about the ability that Hashem has given each and every one of us to express God's truth to the fullest emes. Wow. That is so much higher, so much deeper, infinitely higher and infinitely deeper. So let's now try to explain how does this work. Let's make logic out of this. So it's based on the concept, on the idea that we say that Einoid Mavaday, there's nothing but Hashem. This idea, this notion that Einoid Movada there's nothing but Hashem, is the way it's usually understood. The idea of Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem and Hashem is one, without the deep teaching of the Bal Without the deep understanding of the Balshemtov in Achtos Hashem, the unity of God, one's understanding and appreciation of Hashem Echad means there's only one God. <coughs> Not to Chas V'Sholom believe that there are many creators. There's only one Creator. The Balshemtov revealed because the Balshemtov is already the beginning of Mashiach. In a sense, he is the soul of Mashiach. And therefore, he comes to reveal a much higher truth about existence. That's what Mashiach is. Mashiach comes to enlighten the world with a deeper consciousness, with a deeper awareness. And what is that? To see the MS, the truth. What's the truth? Hashem al Hashem al means not only that there's no other God, but there's no other existence. The Abishthir is the only reality. How was that? The Abishthir is the only reality. That doesn't mean, and this is something that needs to be very strongly highlighted and emphasized. That doesn't mean that you and I and everything around us is a myth. It's fake. Because if you and I and everything around us is fake, then we're wasting time now at this year, Because I don't exist and you don't exist. So why should we have a conversation? This is a horrible waste of time then whatever we are doing in Torah and mitzvahs is absolutely meaningless because we're all living, it's all happening in a non-reality that doesn't exist. So it has zero significance. If to God we don't exist, we totally don't exist, and we're not, we're not a reality and we have no mitzvahs and no existence, so then why, why are we doing a mitzvah? And then another thing would be a problem. When the Torah says that in the beginning God created heaven and earth, God forbid the Torah would be telling us something that's not true. Because creation never happened. Because we're saying there's only God. But yet we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Hashem Echad. and the Baal Tov says that means there's no other existence other than God. And we actually emphasize that in the Siddur. We say, Atahu Koydim Shanivra Oilam. You are, before, you are the one that's before the world was created You are the one after the world is created So simply the way everybody learns the pirish of this thing God, you were around a long, long time ago That's awesome And you know God You are around even after the world is created And that's fantastic we were once not around. We are only around now. But you were around before, and you were around now too. So you're doing much better than us. That's the simple meaning of Atahu. But if that would be the Pirush, why do we have to repeat the second time, Hu? Atahu, mi, we say, atahu kodim you were around before the world was created. And Atahu, you are, mi you didn't end when the world was created. You still are. So then I don't have to say again, atta who you are again. You what's the second time who? If it says two times, the word who is implying something deeper. And this is the way it's, it's understood from the eyes of the Balatanya, from the eyes of the Altarib. Atta who koidnim you are before the world was created. Atta who you remain exactly the same. that's it you are the same like you were before before the cosmos came into existence before you willed creation and spoke creation and made the world you didn't have any company you're the only one and after you created the world you still remain the only existence that means that creation didn't in any ways compromise or challenge God's unity and God's exclusivity so you remain the only one. So how in the world do we make sense with the fact, first of all, how do we understand that? Before Hashem created the world, it was only Him. And after He created the world, there is a billion gazillion creatures. Physical creatures, there's 8 billion humans in this world, plus all the cows and donkeys and sheep and goats and birds and ants and spiders and bugs and fish. What else? A whole bunch of other stuff, right? So these are all, plus there are all the angels, and angels and I have some, some, some celestial beings, it goes on planets, stars. I mean, it's crazy. The universe is incomprehensible. You can't estimate its, its, its grandeur, its, its vastness, and the amount of beings that exist that are visible to us. I mean, to say at least how much more that is not visible to us. Humans. So what do we mean that you're the, you're the same? And if, get, and if we say you're the same, what does that mean? That you didn't change, and you remain the only one. That means that for some reason, this is all what? Not real. We don't really exist. That means it's a figment of our imagination. We're all daydreaming our existence. We're all imagining, we're all in some kind of a, of a fantasy. We're all living in this fantasy of existence that doesn't really exist. If that's the case, as I said earlier, What's Torah and mitzvahs? And why should we be be, uh, cautious and be invested in a program that's literally meaningless? Because we don't really exist. So we have to say both are true. We truly are created. We are very, very, very real. So therefore when you do a mitzvah, it's very, very, very real. And you count infinitely important. Because God wants you to do a mitzvah. That means you have to be. But at the same time, God is the only one before He created the world. And He's not only, almost the only one after He created the world. He's exactly the only one, just as He was before He created the world. With the same way He is just as strongly the only one after He created the world. So that creates us, that brings us to a real predicament. And what I should really do is end the share now and let you think about this for a week. And see if you can come up with a resolution. How? This is a paradox. This absolutely doesn't make any sense. How can we be, can the world truly be created and at the same time God remains the only being after He created the world? So to understand this, is chapter 20, 21, 22 mainly those three chapters in Tanya. And I'm going to do a very, very, very brief, brief synopsis, but I, w- I would recommend everybody to read them carefully and learn this. Today you have good English translations, and you're able to learn it, and books that explain it. This is awesome, because it's what this really does to every single person that learns it, this and you, if you understand this and comprehend it, really, and this is really the Mittler Rebbe, the, the, the second Chabad Rebbe says, that this is literally the entire purpose of our existence to understand this to understand this concept and when we say to understand this, okay you learn it, for, for you, how long does it take to learn it? if you have a good head you can do it in a few days and if you're, if you're, even if you're not the smartest of peoples you can do it in two weeks or in three weeks nah. this, is, this is enough for lifetime thinking to ponder this to think about this daily and daily and daily and to experience it in a deeper and, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper way to the point that you literally start living in divine consciousness. And you become literally included in God. That's how, because your entire reality. But this creates a tremendous what we might, uh, paradigm shift. Our entire sense of existence switches. If we can assimilate this concept and this idea. And this is, this is the main impact that Mashiach is going to have on us internally, is that we are going to switch over from the consciousness that we have now, which is that we look at ourselves and as the world as something other than God, and we experience ourselves independent from Hashem, and then when Mashiach will come, we will see ourselves as included in God's existence, and that there's nothing but Him. And that's not going to take away anything from our physical existence. Quite on the contrary, our physical existence is going to be enhanced tremendously. At the same time, we're going to be in an absolute state of dveikos with Hashem all the time. So let's do this very briefly, just in a few steps. So based on the teaching of the Zohar, which states as follows. Kula it's, kame It's a Pasik in Daniel. In Daniel it says v'chol Dire ara, and all the, those who live in the world, all those who live on the earth, kolochshiv they're not they're considered like nothing. But the Zohar takes it and the Zohar says kula everything, all of existence kame in front of the Eberster kolochshiv they're considered as not. So what does that mean from God's perspective? Everything is considered as naught. He created it. He made the world. What do you mean it's considered like naught, like nothing? What well, nothing? So the so 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 the idea is as follows: all that Hashem created is dependent and hinged and leaning on, supported by the words of God that God spoke when God created the world. We know that when Hashem created the world, Hashem spoke and He created. Kihu amar He spoke and He created. Basara mamoros nivra oilam. With the ten utterances, God created the world, and the ten utterances are responsible for bringing the world into existence. First, to the very, very beginning, the fact that there was once nothing, and the world comes into existence. Ex nihilo. From nothing to something. The world appears. Who is responsible for that? Hashem. What power of Hashem? Hashem's speech. Dibur. Hashem spoke. The world comes into existence. Okay. Fine. Not only, the, not only does the world created from God, but Hashem also enlivens the world through His speech. That means after the world comes into existence, it needs life. Trees are living. The world is alive. Every creature is a living. As a is has the world is the galaxies are moving. Everything is in a state. The world is not dead. The seasons: summer, winter. The move. Everything is in, in in a state. The ocean is alive. Everything is alive, swarming with life. That power of life, if we might say, the electricity that keeps everything going again is what the word of God. So the word of Hashem brings it out into existence. And Hashem didn't use any material to create. He created it only from His words. So everything is taking its entire beingness from Hashem's word. Then the power that that enlivens everything is from His, 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 His word. And the third thing, its staying power, that the world continues to exist, is also from God's word. So its initial emergence is from Hashem's words. Its life force is from Hashem's words. And its staying power, that it continues to exist, is also from Hashem's words. Comes out the sum totality of all of creation. Everything we see, smell, hear, touch, feel. Everything we know in our brains. Everything we sense. Everything we're conscious and aware of. And what we, are, what we know we're not conscious of. But the sum totality of everything. What is it made out of? What's its, what's its power? What's its... Its, its entire source of existence, the Word of God. The Dvar Hashem, the Word of Hashem. That's stage number one. Okay. That doesn't mean the worlds don't exist. That means that they're existent or dependent on God's power to cre- that creates them. Now we go to step number two. And that is as follows. When Hashem talks, his speech, obviously, is much higher than our speech. Much higher than our speech. But we can, we can determine that just like in a human being, there is a, there is a sentence, something that you say, and then there is your power that you have to speak. There is what did you say. Okay? Okay? Something, you said a phrase. You went somewhere, you said a phrase. That phrase that you said is is a sentence or two sentences or three sentences of speech. So you communicated letters and words, that's your communication of speech. But where did that speech come from? From your soul. From which part of your soul did it come from? It came from your power that you have within your soul to speak. Now the, let's call that, he refers to that as nefesh hamedaberes, your soul that speaks. That nefesh hamedaberes, that soul that speaks, what's its capability of speech? Does it have a million words? And when you went somewhere and you emanated three sentences, let's say ten words each sentence, so you just spent... 30 of your words. Now you have a million minus 30 words. You go somewhere else and you get onto a... And you, you, someone calls you, you, get into a phone call, it ends up being a two-hour conversation. You look at your phone bill, it was out of the country. Oh, you out. There's an extra seventy dollars on the bill. Two hours of talking to a cousin in Israel, but you didn't really, right? <laughs> a lot of words, okay? Oh, now you spent from your million words, how much did you just now deduct? 736 words minus. Or 1,242 words. Is that true? Does that make any sense? Do you have a certain amount of words, and then whenever you're speaking, you're using up those words? It's like you buy minutes on a card, on a phone card. You buy minutes, you use up your minutes. Do we say that a person has speech, a certain amount of speech, and use up that speech? That's not true. Even though there's only a certain amount of speech that a person is going to speak in their lifetime, depending on how long they're going to live and how much they talk. But that's a problem in terms of the soul being in the body. But the soul itself, that's a spirit that doesn't die, and it has a power to, speech, to speak, how many words can it say? Infinite, and has no end. It's a machine that can produce never-ending, there's no amount, infinite amount of sentences and words it can say. If, I, if that's the case. What's the value of one phrase that you spoke compared to your infinite ability to speak endless amount of words? What's the value of that sentence? Zero. That one phrase that you said compared to your ability to talk has zero value. Like, give a simple example. Go to the beach in Santa Monica. Go for a swim. Come out of the water. Draw yourself up. On one of you here, there's a tiny, tiny little bit, a droplet of water that's still on your hair. What's the value of that droplet of water compared to the entire Pacific? From here to Australia, to Japan, the entire Pacific, and the depth of the water, and so on and so forth. What's the value of, one da- of that one droplet compared? Does it have any significance? Can you say in any ways now that there's less water in the Pacific? Because you have one droplet that is on your hair that you're taking home as a souvenir from your swim at the Santa Monica Beach. Has the ocean become less with that one droplet? So for all practical purposes no. No one is going to complain that, oh my, people shouldn't swim in the ocean because we're going to drain the ocean soon. Because all the people that are coming out, and they're wet, they're going to bring, even if it's the summer and everybody goes to the beach, all of Los Angeles, and everybody swims in the water, and everybody comes out wet, and everybody has a whole bunch of drops on all their hair. We're not going to empty. It's not even going to be a dent of a dent of a dent of a dent. No one is ever going to notice that the Pacific lost that water. And let alone only one drop. Oh, now let's go back to the speech. If you have an infinite ability to talk, so what's the value of that one phrase? What's the value? Nothing. The truth is it's not such a perfect example. Because the ocean doesn't have infinite amount of drops. The ocean has... A lot of drops. <laughs> Think about how many of these tiny drops is there in the ocean. I'm not talking about a lake or a big lake. I'm talking about the Pacific Ocean. How many drops? Oh, enormous. You can't, you can't, you can't estimate. But after everything is said and done, the ocean is made up from a certain finite number of these amounts of, of tiny drops. So take one drop out of the ocean and it truly does diminish. But let's imagine for a moment something that we can't really think, but let's imagine an ocean that literally never ends. That there's no end to it. Even if you're going to travel a gazillion years on, a, on a, one of those planes that float, seaplanes, and go a gazillion years and you're never going to get to the other end of the ocean. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Or imagine if the ocean is infinitely deep. No matter how low you go, you never get there. You just go lower. It's infinite. There's no end to it then what? and then you estimate how much is one droplet compared to it no? zero! ah so now you understand that one phrase is nothing to to your power of speech that would be that would be an accurate analogy now let's take it to the next level how about that phrase that ability to speak one phrase compared not to your power to talk, but to a higher power of your, of your soul. We all have a power of thinking. We have a power of machshava, a power of thought. Now thought, how many thoughts can you think in your life, or in mean, your life only limited, but how much can a shama, how much thoughts can a soul have? How many thoughts? Believable. <laughs> And then when I ask you, that one phrase, that one sentence that you said, what's its value compared to your ability to think? It's even more nothing than to the power to speech. Why? First of all, thought happens much faster than speech. So in the same time, you can think, you can say a a couple of sentences, you can think at an enormous speed much faster. But it's much deeper than that. The quality of thought Thought is so much higher than speech. Your experience of thinking is so much more greater than the power of speech that when you compare one phrase, one sentence of speech to your general power of thought, now the, the, the valuelessness of it, its nothingness is much, 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 much greater and deeper when I'm saying it's what's its value to the, your power of thought? Nothing. Let me give you an example, that you'll understand the difference. Water to water, even though we say one drop of water in a big ocean is what? Meaningless and un... It's not because... And even if it's an infinite ocean, if it's an infinite ocean, we say one drop of water compared to the ocean. One drop of water compared to the ocean is nothing, nada. Right? But why is it nothing? it's nothing not because of what it is, it's nothing because of its limitation, because it's only a drop. But essentially what what it is, it's water. And water has to be something, because if water is nothing, then the entire ocean is nothing. (laughs) Even if it's an infinite ocean. If I come and I say, you know what, water is nothing. If water is nothing, then the ocean is nothing. So since the ocean is to itself, the ocean is something. So the ocean already established that water is very important. Why is that one drop nothing? It's because it's so little water. And compared to an infinite ocean, it's nothing. So that's when I'm comparing speech to speech. I'm saying that one phrase compared to our ability to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk endlessly is nothing. But if I ask you another question. If I have... A mud ball You never know, see a snowball Let's make a mud ball Go to the beach Mix with water Get a bunch of mud A little bit of mud Put it in your hands And have a mud ball And now I'm going to ask you What's the value of a mud ball to, inf- to infinite amount Of golden coins What's the significance Of a mud ball To, s- to infinite amounts of golden coins so now why is the mud ball insignificant is it insignificant only because it's only one mud ball or is it insignificant even if it would be a lot of mud balls even if it would be infinite mud balls it would also not be it would also be valueless compared to the golden coins because mud to golden coins are nothing You following what I'm saying? So here, its insignificance and its valuelessness is not only because of its being quantity a little, it's not only because of what it's not, but also because of what it is. It is a mudball. That's what we're adding on now when we say that one phrase of speech is nothing compared to thought, to the power to think, Because now we're adding another dimension. Now we're adding to the nothingness, that what? Why is it nothing? It's nothing not just because of it's only being one phrase of speech, but because the entire realm of speech is considered nothing compared to the rich, deeper, powerful world of thought, which is an internal, inner experience of the human being that is so much richer than speech. Now we take it to the next level. Let's now analyze that phrase of speech. In comparison, not to your ability to talk, not to your ability, infinite ability to think, that one phrase, but to your ability to ex- your emotional world, the world of emotion, to your, to your actual soul. The soul is made up of the powers of powers of intelligence, and powers of emotion see what speech and thought have in common speech and thought are both letters, they're both words they're both made up of letters and letters means they are something that has no content of its own, it's only serving something else what's letters? letters are containers letters are containers so what gives, what gives letters significance? What gives words significance? Only the content. If, you, if there's no content to the words and just a bunch of words, if I just grabbed a gazillion, uh, let's say I had opportunity, I take, I take a thousand words, not words, yeah, a thousand words, and I just throw them in the air and they land mixed up, and it's a bunch of words just, even if they're lined up in a long line, is there any significance to anything I just put? Nothing because if it's not organized in the right way then there's nothing inside of them so it would be equivalent to me meeting Bill Gates right or what's uh, the other guy here the guy uh, Bezos the the new guy billionaire from Amazon and he throws me his wallet (laughs) not bad he said I like your organization here's my wallet he throws me the wallet when I open up the wallet there's no credit cards there there's nothing, there's just an empty wallet. So an empty wallet without anything, or if my good friend Mati Herzog from the winery sends me for Shalachmanis three, four cases of Baron Herzog, and I open up and they're empty bottles. <laughs> the wine was finished already. He finished, he had his Purim party, and he sent me over all the empty bottles. It's contentless. The whole value of the bottle is the content that's in it. Letters... The content of letters are what's in the letters. That's in speech and that's in thought. But there's a a dimension in a person's soul that's deeper than speech and deeper than thought where there are no letters. That means there is inherent significance in them. And that is your emotional range. Emotions aren't words. Emotion is a feeling. So when you're feeling an emotion towards something, a love, you're feeling an attraction, a love towards something, initially when you feel that love, you're not even though you have to think it, but you're not really hearing any letters. You're just feeling a an excitement and a pull and a and a, and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a craving and an attraction to something. What's the proof to that? You don't love in a specific language. You know? If two people love spicy chicken wings, sorry for making everybody like hungry, but okay. If two people love spicy chicken wings, are you gonna say that this person is loving spicy chicken wings in Spanish and this person loves spicy chicken wings in English? The love doesn't have language. The love is a pull. Two people loving spicy chicken wings, it can be in every language and it's the same feeling. It's a feeling of I want that, I'm drawn to that. Now, when they're thinking it, I love spicy chicken wings, so I'm saying it in English now. And Someone who says it in French is going to say it in French or in any other language. That's already the letters that you're applying, that's the thought of it. But the actual experience of the emotion is a pure energy without any letters. That means that it's content itself it doesn't, It's not a keli, a vessel That's why um, the level of emotion is so much deeper It's so much more the person than your thoughts That's why thought and speech is called garments to the soul Emotion and intellect In intellect it's a little hard to sense Because every time you, you have an idea you already, you, we, we, we confuse intelligence with thought because every time we th- every time we have any intelligence of an understanding of something, we're always thinking words. But it's not really that way, because you can take the same concept and the same idea and say, in other words, you can throw all the words off, all the words off and create new words for the same concept, completely new words, because the concept, which is an energy, it's it's an idea, is not words. It's the way we process it in our minds, we crunch it through our brains with letters. But essentially it's not letters. So the world of intellect and the world of emotion is above words. And if I ask the question, what is the value of that one sentence compared to your essential being, your entire, soul, that has this infinite deep emotion, an endless emotion, an endless intelligence, compared to that Again, that, that your soul has a lower tail end of your soul that can speak. That's the tail end of your soul. And that power that can speak, can speak infinite amount of words. And now it expressed itself and said what? One phrase. What's the value of that one phrase compared to your very being of, of self? What, what significance does it have? Zero. Again, it's already so much more than the one drop compared to the ocean, than the one mud pile compared to the gold coins. Here we're dealing in a whole different... Because you think about it, if if we compare it to the mud and the gold coins, there too there is a certain resemblance. What's the certain resemblance? They're both physical matter. So when we say mud and gold coins have zero value compared to each other... That's in some aspect of it. The value, it's monetary value. But there's something in which they do have in common. They're both physical matter. But if I asked you, what's the value of a mug ball? A mug ball. Compared to abstract ideas. Abstract ideas. Intelligence, thought, deep, deep concepts. Here it has it's completely in a complete different range. It's nothing, and it has nothing in common. So now let's go back to God. If all of the cosmos and all of creation and everything that exists is only created by what is only created by what, by the Eberstur speech, and that's one phrase that Hashem emitted. One phrase that Hashem spoke, which is nothing compared to God's ability to speak infinite, endless other phrases. And that power to speak and to express Himself is Beli and Beli And Hashem is, Hashem is way beyond Hashem's power of speech. Hashem also emanated a power of thought which is higher than Hashem's power of speech. To the power of thought, what's the value of that one speech which contains the cosmos, which creates all, which in that power of speech lies all of creation? Zero. And what's the power of that compared to the higher elements beyond God's thoughts, Tashem's essential emotions, the spherot themselves? And then if we go higher, Tashem as he is beyond the spherot, nothing. So, what's the value of all the worlds to God? Literally nothing. So from this perspective, if I am to say like this, if you're alone in a room, and you call someone and you say, you went on vacation, and you call someone and you say, wow, this beautiful, beautiful beach home. Unbelievable, and it's a mansion. And I have the whole house to myself. At the whole house. I stand over here, I see the most magnificent sunset, and it's a beautiful six bedroom house, and there is a livid upstairs, and a dining grand, and a swimming pool, and a tennis court, and a... unbelievable. This is such a, a palace in a state. He said, I have the whole thing to myself. I'm here alone. Maybe you want to come visit me. And then a tiny little, little fly flies through the room. Tiny little one, not even the big smiles. They small, like a fruit fly. They're really tiny, small ones. Is it false if you just said, you're a liar, because you said you're here alone? Would it be a false statement to say, oh no, you're not alone? There is the little fly that's there in the room with you. No, but the fly is kulakame kamei It's not. <laughs> it doesn't exist in my realm. It's not even, it's not even a reality. I have the whole house to myself. We understand that, that by saying the fact that there's a fly there, that is very little, that the, the, the is garnished, is nothing. Now, obviously. The significance of that tiny little fly, or rather, let's say, the insignificance of that tiny little fly in the room, while you're saying you're the only one, and no one is going to say you're a liar, and you're not even going to be held accountable for being seeing a lie, because you're because there's someone else in the room. There is this fly. The insignificance is absolute. We can understand that the insignificance of all of creation and all of existence, with all the worlds, with all the angels and all beings and everything that's in it, is. Not just way, 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 way less, but infinitely less than the significance of that tiny little half a fly that we're talking about that's within you together with you. So really, what what are we giving a share on today? I forgot to say this at the beginning. This class is going to teach us all how nothing we are. Exciting, no? But here's the thing. The nothingness, the more nothingness we become, the more we can just let go and allow ourselves to be swallowed up in what? In Hashem's truth. And we just have to we can't be so tight. When we're rigid and tight and stuck up in ourselves and we're not letting go, then we're living in this in this peepsqueak nothingness of existence that parades around that thinks it's something, when instead leave go and just become part of him, be him. Instead of being you, be him. Right? But the marshal of the fly is still not the best marshal. This is chapter 20 in Tanya. Chapter 21 in Tanya takes it to the next level. Because if you really, 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 really take a microscope. And if you really shine upon the house that you're in, this big house. And you shine upon what? A telescope or whatever, some type of big magnifying glass. And you shine it right on that tiny little fly that's teeny, weeny, shweeney, nothing. And suddenly this fly becomes this super mega eagle that's flying across the room. It's the same fly, it's tiny. But this magnifying glass is so big that it made suddenly this, this, this fly look like a massive dinosaur. Can you say you're nothing? Can you say you're alone in the room? If you're, if you're looking through that, can you say you're alone in the room? You can't say you're alone in the room. Because goes if there is something there and if I pay attention to that something and I expand it and I look at it and I stretch it out, then it is something. So if I say that the worlds are nothing, because God created them only with a phrase, which that phrase is incomparably nothing compared to His power of speech, even less than one water in the drop of the Pacific, had the Pacific Ocean been infinite, right? Even less than, saif kol saif, saif kol saif, saif saif, we're still talking about a creation coming of God's words that He created, it's just very, very tiny and very small, So we can't really, really, truly, truly, completely say it's nothing. So that's why we come to chapter 21 in Tanya. And in chapter 21 in Tanya, he adds a very, very deep idea. And he says as follows. The difference between God, there is a fundamental difference between God's speech. We're just going to spend three minutes on this. Because the class is supposed to be over. So we're just going to spend three minutes on this idea, very briefly. He says there's a fundamental difference between the Eberster's speech and our speech fundamentally different and that is what when we speak two things happen when we talk number one certain realities, experiences uh, features that exist inside of us ideas, excitements, whatever they are that are existing outside and are private are exposed they are now actualized, revealed Okay, so I have this crazy excitement in my head. I walk into the room, and you all think I'm normal, and I'm just like this. Suddenly I turn around, and I say, Rabbi we are now going to do so and so. And I just put it out. I put it out. They say, whoa. It's like, psh. That's, that's, that's uh, psh. So that means, it's, uh, but until now, when it was kept inside of me, no one knew about it. So the fact that, I, that speech is the ability of what? To express something from potential, from hidden potential to actualization. That's one feature of speech. The second feature of speech is while I am taking something from my inside world and putting it to the outside world, a second feature of speech is that the words that I am speaking exit me to the outside. In other words, the way they become known to you is by disconnecting from me and moving to the outside. Think about this. These words that I'm, that I'm actually speaking right now, 20 minutes ago, before I got to this part of the shir, they're part of me. Part of my preparation for the class. Okay? Two hours ago, I was sitting and learning this and preparing it, and these words are inside of me, let's say. Now what's happening to these words? They're going out. They're going out, they're being spoken into the... So it's like an energy, it's letters, it's breath, it's, that was what, that's inside and now it's put out. It went out. So it left me to the outside. doesn't mean that I don't know the concept anymore, but the words themselves left me. These words became an independent something to the point that you can record it and take these words away. So you see, if the words are exiting and leaving. By Hashem, in His speech... His speech only has one of these characteristics and not the other characteristics. It has one characteristic, is that it has the characteristic of speech that things that are hidden are now being revealed, openly manifest, revealed. So for instance, before Hashem spoke and He had in His thought an idea of a world, he had an de- idea of a blue sky, an idea of a, of a green tree. He had an idea of a galaxy. He had an idea of a mountain, of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a river, of a monkey, or whatever it is. These, all these ideas, before He spoke them, they were, they were hidden. And when Hashem speaks them, these things are, the energy goes out to create, to make, to make the monkey, to make the blue sky, to make the green tree, to make the Gushan River. All these things become actualized. But here is the difference between God's speech. Different than our speech. By our speech, these words that we're speaking are leaving us to go out. And that's the only way you become aware of it when it leaves us. By Hashem, the words never leave him. So they remain completely inside him, part of him. These letters never left their source. So if these letters nev- letter never left their source, it's as if these letters were never spoken. Because the letters, before they leave their source... What happens? Think about it. Any phrase that any person says, before they spoke that phrase, where was that phrase? It was inside their general power of speech. Now, Can you find that phrase? If you would do a search, go into the person's power of speech. You know, today's days we can do find on the computer. Go into the person's power of speech and put a a, a phrase that was never spoken, can you search for it and look for it? No, it's there, but it's not there, because you never spoke it yet. So, it's kind of there, because these words could never have been spoken out had they not been there. Ah, if I already prepared the speech, if I know exactly the phrase that I'm going to say, let's say I prepared, I'm going tomorrow to so-and-so, to Mr. So-and-so, and I'm going to say these three sentences. Ah, then if you do a search, can you find those sentences? Maybe. Because they're there already, I didn't actually speak them, but they're already. But if I didn't yet appear those words, and you're looking for the words that I'm going to say tomorrow, is it there? It's not there. But you can't say it's not there, because if it's not there, how is it going to be in the outside? The answer is it exists over there, but it exists in a non-defined existence. It's like fire taking out fire from a stone, from a flintstone. If I asked you inside the stone, is there a bunch of fire there? It's there, but it's not there. So the words are not there. So an amazing thing. When we speak, we actually take the words, and the words become something, and they move outside of us. When Hashem speaks, He has the ability to make the the words appear, And therefore, the consequences of these words are the green trees, the river, the blue sky, and everything. But the words remain exactly like they were before they started their journey to merge out, because they're not emerging out. So where are those words? The words are still lost in the non-defined, infinite expanse of God's simple essence, which doesn't have any shape, form, or anything. Hmm, so where is creation now? That one little what did we say earlier? That creation, which is that little tiny fly that is insignificant, where is that fly now? That fly is in its source in a non in a non existent existence. So for all practical purposes, where are are the cosmos and where is all of existence? If the words that create the worlds never left Him and are still Him and never were expressed, so they practically don't exist. Even though He's creating all the worlds with those words, but these words are still in their source. So do they have an existence? No. So who is only Him? There's nothing but Him. Uh So if that's the case, how can we all feel ourselves? How can we even be aware of our existence if we're still lost in God's infinite, undefined, unspecified existence? How can we even know of our existence? So here is God's super-duper cool trick. Those very words have a front and a back. The front of the words are the words as they are in Him. In th- these words are completely Him and they're not outside of Him. But as we, the creations that are created from these words, experience these words, it's like these words turn around to the outside and it's as if they become completely separated from Him and go out to become a creation. And the words become distinct words and the creation therefore becomes a distinct creation. So now the question is, what is true? Do we exist or we don't exist? And the answer is, we truly exist from our side. From his side, we truly don't exist. So both are true. As he, he pro- a process called simtsum and contraction that makes the words appear as if they left him, And therefore become defined, and there's still nothing in terms of their value. But at least they, they go outside to become that tiny little insignificant fly that still doesn't challenge his unity, but at least something. But over here we're saying that from God's perspective it never left him. His words, even though he's creating everything, but it's a creation that takes place inside of him. The letters are completely inside of him. They are lost it's as if I were ask you if I take a white piece of, piece of paper and I say, "Do you see the lamid?" Do you see the lamid right over here? Do you see the lamid? Do you see a lamid right over here? No. Okay, but if I cut out a lamid right now. Well, if I cut out the lamid, would you see a lamid? Of course you would see it. Now, if when I cut out the lamid, you can see the lamid is the lamid there right now, the shape of the lamid there it's there because if it would not be there it couldn't be there when I cut it out it's there but, but, but it's not existing independently it's existing as the, as the plain sheet of paper so think about all the words that God spoke that he creates the worlds of the cosmos to him they're still inside that plain simple sheet of paper never emerged into anything they're still him therefore it's only him So what does it have to do with the observance of commandments? So here's the trick. Every time you're doing a mitzvah, you're flipping creation back. You're flipping God's perspective into our perspective. Now he, He allows us to feel the word separate and therefore we become separate and we, we are finite, we're creatures, we're limited. We only exist for a temporary amount of time because we only have a limited energy in us. We will expire. We exist as a creation. When we are doing his will, we are removing this tzimtzum and contraction that makes it appear to us as if we are separate from him. And his reality gets, tran- gets, gets turned around to us. So we're invited, so to speak, in the observance of a mitzvah to experience the truth of our existence in the same way that he experiences the truth of our existence. And you know what that means? That we become him when we do the mitzvah. And therefore, whenever we're doing a mitzvah, we're expressing, I am God, there's nothing but him. Our parameters of existence that to a certain degree block the truth that there's nothing but God dissolve in every mitzvah that we do. 613 mitzvahs or 248, you get to express it in every facet of your being, that you're nothing but Him. And that means you you become Him and He is eternal and forever and absolute. You are eternal, you are forever, and you are absolute because you are Him. That's the 248 commandments. 365 prohibitions, we didn't get a chance to really go into that place, is where he explains that this separation that Hashem created for the entire world to feel separated from God becomes extra, extra, extra intense when God creates the creatures that work against Him. What we call sitra, achra, and klipa. Them Hashem creates with such constrictions and with such, such blockages that they become so disconnected from their creative force to the point that they lose all sense that there is even a Creator. And they become totally independent beings. Now you know what means an independent being? Independent from God means literally non existence. So what means that they become actually that's why we say the wicked are called dead. They're not alive, they have no existence. Temporarily they're breathing and they're eating and they're you know doing all the other physical functions, but there's no life there because there's no connection. In other words, the rest of the creation experiences a certain amount of separation just enough that we should exist, but we still acknowledge a creator the Klippa and the Sitra Akhra, they are created in such a manner that they are so ignorant that they don't even feel that there's even a source that they come from any letters, from any words, there's any God creating them. So they're living in complete disconnect and a complete isolation and a complete separation. Therefore, every time a person, God forbid, enters into their zone by doing something Hashem said you shouldn't do, Do not do, thou shalt not do so and so, no matter it could be the smallest thing, don't tell a lie. Don't eat so and so. When a person is doing that, he's entering into their space, of klipa space, and then the person is promulgating or expressing the, 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 the lies of the klipa that there is other existence other than God. And that means that the person is now entering into the most constricted tzimtzumim, contractions and blockages, and they're totally blocking the flow from Hashem to them. And in that space, it's as if you're non-existing. And that's called idol worship. There's some other existence other than God. A person is claiming beingness other than Hashem. So all of Yiddishkeit boils down. You can either do a mitzvah and dissolve into God's truth, or express his MS in you, in your that means, again, let's always go back to it. If we say the world is embedded in God, doesn't mean that Hashem didn't express it. Hashem expressed it and made it, but it's still swimming in his infinite light and it's one with him. As opposed to in, 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 the world that's that 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 that, 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 that the, where the letters go out and they become something already. So in a mitzvah, we're acknowledging, accepting, receiving and expressing and becoming part of the unity of God. And we are Him. In doing an Averah Rechaz we become totally disconnected, amputated, God forbid, from existence. And our existence is then illusionary, not true, unreal, fake, fraud, fraudulent, and therefore dead. And the Eberster says, be smart, be true, be a Jew. Be alive. Live truth. What a powerful way to do mitzvahs. It's not about any reward. It's about just being Hashem. Being true to you, who you truly are. That's the depth of where Hasidus takes a person in their observance. And then, all of your observance is like when you hear it directly from Hashem. That's the content of all of mitzvahs. That's the Bolshem of observance of Torah and Mitzvahs. That's the Hasidic observance of Torah and Mitzvahs. And that's the Moshiach observance of Torah and Mitzvahs. May we merit that this shouldn't only be concepts, but this should be our reality. Very soon we will open up our eyes and we will see that this is our reality. May Hashem help us to see
0: it now. Was mein Mama hat mir erzählt, in Wien. Ui, als Moschiach ja, gekommen, fett in Flammen, und fett uns vieren, überjammen, und darf Papieren, ein Brief. Und wenn wir sehen, mit Geräusch freit, wie der Eltern Seide geht, Du ja röstgekommen von Ganeiden Und wir wählen mit dem Reden Und reden wählen in den Arsch von Frieden Ei, und als man hört, tot die Süße Reden Und als man den hört und man versteht Ei, von dem wird in Herzen frei Und es er singt, singt und er, es steht und geht. Wir denken und lieben, wir fahren, uns und gläubigen. Den Bechefer von Neubem, was geht mit uns und hier. Und hat uns gegeben, mag- und magelig gelochen leben. Und hat uns gelehrt, wer soll zu sein, da hier? Wir denken wir, lieben, fahren erfahren uns und gläubigen. Den Bechef, er von neuen, was geht mit uns und hier. Und hat uns gegeben, magelig gelochen leben. Yeah, so it's wizard.